Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 13 of Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast. 13, unlucky for some, but very lucky for a number of teams this weekend with some huge results in the Superliga. So looking forward to digging into this. And I've got a very special guest in part two of the show, Marius Fischer, first team performance analyst at Viborg. So a very interesting team doing very interesting things. And a lot of that is based on the amazing capabilities they have in the back room. And Marius is a big part of that. So looking forward to sharing a conversation with him in part two and understanding a bit about what he does and how he has contributed to Viborg's amazing success this season that sees them still sitting in that top three race and looking good for it too. But before we get into that, makes sense to talk a little bit about the weekend's action. It started on uh, Friday night with AGF taking on Horsens, and this was a game of few chances. AGF really made the most of what they created. Started with a goal through a Mortensen penalty, and really, is there anyone in the Super League you'd rather have taking a penalty at the moment than Patrick Mortensen? Just so cool when he stepped up, side-footed it right in the bottom corner, sent the keeper the wrong way. And that really set AGF on course for for victory. They made it 2-0 through a Yambisek header. And although Horsens had a couple of chances, there wasn't really much prospect of them coming back into this. What will boost their chances is I see Matej Delach is back in contention to, to play. So he'll probably play this coming weekend uh, and that should boost their chances because before he got injured, he was really integral to them. And if, they, if they're going to survive, they're going to need him back at his best. Then Viborg played Ranners in uh, in Viborg, and this was a really interesting game because Viborg went two 0 up, and normally at that point uh, it's pretty hard to peg them back. But Ranners chipped away in the second half, got back to two all, and uh, Viborg then had a, a really good chance to win it in the dying stages of the game. Sofas Berger got put through, sort of on the penalty spot, had a chance to to finish first time and hit it straight at the keeper, and you could see how disappointed he was and what a moment that would have been for him had he scored. But it finished on as even, two all, and I think that that was definitely two points dropped for Viborg because at two 0 up, you'd have thought they'd have what it takes to see the game out but fair play to runners they really came back into it strong and uh, when I was at the game a couple of weeks ago the Viborg Michelin game I noticed Thomas Thomas Berg was there so obviously the notes that he made then paid off and he found the formula to, to get back into the game so fair play to runners Silkeborg FC Norgeland El Plastico and this was a remarkable game it finished with the most dramatic of, of late goals, but it started with Emiliano Marcondes with really a striker's goal, a, a low cross whipped in. He let it come across his body and finished into the bottom corner. And that was a really, really, really nice finish. That's definitely a tough technique to, to master. And Norgeland started started strong and looked like they were going to dominate proceedings. But it's not often that, that Silkeborg have less possession and fewer passes over the course of 90 minutes. But, you know, Norgeland managed that, which is testament to their their quality. But Silkeborg came back on level terms and Tony Adamson worked really hard for, for that goal and was perhaps unlucky not to score in the game. He looked like he's growing with confidence every week and getting brighter and brighter. And I think the goals will come for him. But the winner came in the, the very last minute and Engel, just what a goal that was. It was sort of chested down to him and he smashed this volley from just inside the box and it, it hit the net so hard it crashed straight back out. Uh, and that was the, the winner for Silkeborg. And I know that Norgeland fans were uh, definitely disappointed. Uh, I don't think 
felt that they deserved to lose it. And that's probably fair. But at the same time, Silkeborg had some really good chances throughout the game. So credit to them for keeping on pushing, really. Uh, and that late goal will really boost their spirits going into the run-in. Perhaps the shock of the weekend came in Lingby as they managed their second win of the season against Bromby. And this is somewhat of a derby game. I mean, the stadium was absolutely packed. The the stand behind the goal, which is usually only occupied when teams bring a, a big away contingent, which of course Bromby always do, that was packed out and it was a really great atmosphere. Uh, Lingby went ahead through Finn Bogerson in the second half, actually. And he missed a large part of the season through injury. And I felt really bad for him that the goal was initially ruled offside, which which cut short his celebrations. And, you know, when a goal's given after a lengthy break, the players do celebrate, but it's not the same as that initial uh, rush of adrenaline that comes when you score a goal. So uh, I felt a little for him that he wasn't able to, to fully celebrate. But I also thought, Kickenborg in goal for, for Lungby really, really played well. He made some fantastic saves at 0-0 and, and kept them in the game when they were ahead. There were some clear-cut chances that I think uh, on another day, Bromby could have won that that game 2-1, 3-1. But he was really on top form and, and kept them in the game and just reward for them. And I, I think what's interesting with Lungby is that in the transfer window, they they sold a lot of key players and it looked like they were had just accepted their fate. They were going to go down. And I, I think that that's allowing them to play with a bit more freedom now because nobody is expecting anything from them. And here they are, only two points away from Alborg above them. Okay, then with a further eight points or so to safety. But stranger things have happened. And if they keep playing like this, with key players like Andreas Bielen back, Finn Bogerson scoring again, who knows what could happen. Uh, they could certainly make things interesting. The performance of the weekend, though, unquestionably came from FC Copenhagen, who ran out 7-0 winners against Obi. Obi had a couple of red cards, which almost certainly exacerbated the scoreline. The first was incredibly harsh. I thought the defender slipped and handballed it, having slipped over. It wasn't deliberate, but uh, the referee gave a penalty, quite rightly, but gave a red card, which I thought was incredibly harsh. And from that point, really, FC Cohen never looked back. They had 70% possession. They had 14 shots to Obi's one. And Mohamed Darami was really in his most mercurial form. He His ability to take the ball and run at speed and draw defenders is probably the best in the league when he's on that kind of form. And I think encouragingly for FC Copenhagen fans, his end product is very much there. You know, he scored a couple of goals. He was constantly a threat. Uh, he was providing assists. He was doing everything. And so what he gives them is something that no other player on their team can. So if they are to challenge for the title this season, and I think on the strength of that result, they're very much in the driving seat now. The, the bookies have them reasonably strong favourites uh, despite not being top currently but I think that the, the quality of their squad might just get them over the line and he's going to be a really big part of that so those results leave the table in pretty interesting place so FC Norgeland still top by three points but the gap is closing now and FC Copenhagen have taken up second spot and that their goal difference is now the best in the league after that 7-0 victory and you know that could be crucial at the end of the season. FC Co have six wins uh, on the bounce, so they're the best form team in the league. And uh, Viborg hang on to third place, and they've got quite a comfortable cushion in that third place. And obviously, third place is crucial this season because that's the cutoff for European places. Now, there might end up being another one, uh, depending on who wins the cup, uh, but that 
that final place is subject to playoff uh, as well. So having a seven point gap there is really important. Then you've got AGF amazingly up in up in fourth. Uh, amazing how things can turn around so quickly. And yeah, they're sitting pretty in fourth with a positive goal difference. Although on 29 points, the gap between fourth and ninth is only four points. So things can change dramatically. But I think the big thing to note is that FC Midtjylland and Bromby are both in the, the lower half of the table. And we've only got two more games until the split. So it's going to be really interesting what happens there between, I guess, AGF, Ranners in fifth, Silkeborg in sixth, uh, and Midtjylland and Bromby. I think it's probably safe to say that OB, Horsens, Alborg and Lungby are going to make up the remainder of the relegation group. But those final two spots are going to be really entertaining, uh, watching how that's going to how that's going to play out. We've got some really exciting games to look forward to in round 21. I think the standout games for me are, are probably Bromby taking on Silkeborg uh, on Sunday uh, late afternoon. I think that's 4pm uh, kickoff UK time. And the, those two teams, as I've just said, are really fighting out for that, that championship place. Uh, Bromby at home create a fantastic atmosphere. You know, they've got a, a great surface to play on. So that should be really entertaining. And I think the other game that really captures my attention is Viborg FC Norgeland. This is, of course, uh, first playing third. And Viborg could win this. There's, uh, th- there's a scenario where they could go level on points at the top of the table. Uh, if FC Copenhagen don't win. And so that could really put the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of uh, the title race. So that's going to be a fascinating encounter. So those are really the two games I'm going to I'm going to keep an eye on. But you've also got OB taking on OB, uh, the two teams that sound the same to me, uh, but Odense against Alborg, uh, which is kind of bottom of the table clash. But Alborg were really quite unlucky actually in the in the last round of games I, I haven't spoken about their game yet but they created a number of really good chances and were, were unlucky not to beat Michelin on Monday encouraging from a performance point of view and to only take a point from that is is disappointing for them you can see how frustrated Eric Hamron was on the on the touchline but they are seven points from safety now and so if they can they can keep putting together performances like they did on Monday I think there's uh, there's a good chance they can chip away at that gap but you know it starts with the the game on Friday it's Obi. FC Midtjylland play Lungby and yeah I I went to the reverse of that fixture earlier in the season where uh, Midtjylland went ahead 3-0 and were pegged back to 3-0 probably the most dramatic game of the season that was fantastic so a repeat of that would be very welcome uh, Horsens take on FC Copenhagen and yeah this is a fixture that again Horsens won earlier in the season so don't rule out an upset in this one but FC Copenhagen have really sort of clicked into gear and they look a different side to the one that we saw uh, in the beginning part of the year under Thorup uh, and then the final fixture on Monday is uh, Ranners playing AGF and Again, this is uh, you know fourth versus fifth, uh, two teams that you know with a victory can solidify their place in the championship group. So uh, all to play for there, uh, and that should be um, a re- really interesting encounter. So as ever, we've got lots of Superliga football to look forward to in round twenty-one, and I'll be back next week to round up that action. Let me know which games you're going to be watching, which ones you're most excited for. But uh, as always, if you're outside of Scandinavia, you can catch all of these on OneFootball or on FIFA Plus and, and they stream all the games for free. There's no commentary. But if you keep an eye on a Twitter timeline, 
uh, there's normally plenty of, of people, myself included, talking about it in English. So enjoy the football this weekend and stay tuned for part two when I'll be speaking to Marius Fischer of Vibor. Welcome to part two, and I'm delighted to be joined by Viborg first team analyst, Marius Fischer. Marius, welcome. Uh, is, is it snowing where you are? It actually was when I woke up this morning, but um, you know, Germany, the snow mostly goes away quite quickly. So I think the last time that I could go on a snow ride, it's like probably 10 years ago. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, we, we never had a white Christmas for some years, so but that's how and, it is. And so you're in Germany. How much time do you spend over in, in Viborg? Uh, too much, if you ask my girlfriend. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it got increased in the last few months. So the first year when I, you know, I, I was in Russia before working only remote because Germany, Russia was just too far away. And I went to Viborg and I thought, okay, I think the deal, and it was more like a soft deal. There was no uh, obligation to do it. It was like maybe once in a quarter. And that was like the, how the first year went. And then obviously 2022 when there was so much success and so much stuff to do. And also my work got much more, um, yeah, much more to add on. I've been there probably every three weeks or every four weeks. So really regular. And uh, yeah, now in April, so in three weeks, I go to Viborg for six weeks in a row. The, the club uh, yeah, spends me in apartments that I'm, I'm there for the decisive part of the season, so that will be exciting. Amazing. And I wondered if you could give just a bit of uh, insight into what your role entails and kind of what your background is, how you got into football, and what does a first-team analyst do? Yeah, so my background is quite, yeah, you could say classic on the first side because I was a player, not on a good level, amateur level. I was talented but never had, like, the athleticism to really make it on a professional level. Um, so that was basically my first 22 years of my life. And then I decided, okay, I'm not really getting anywhere with, with playing. And then I added being a coach parallelly the first two years. So I was coaching a youth team, the same team that I played for. That made, made sense at that time. And then I thought, okay, let's make a cut here and focus just on, on, on coaching. And then I, I coached some German academy teams under 15, under 16 was the highest age group. Um, but even in good academies in Germany, you don't really earn a lot of money. And it's so much effort, you know. It's not like in professional football where you, where your training time is in the morning. So it's basically, you can, it's basically youth football always in the evening. So I was away from five until nine for, for five days in a week. For, yeah, probably just... Maybe I got the costs for my traveling covered at least, but nothing more. And this is really hard to, yeah, to really tell your girlfriend that you're five days away in the evening where, where the quality time normally starts. Um, so that was the reason why I made a cut. And then COVID hit, so I also had to yeah, find maybe new ways. And then I thought, okay, you got quite a big Twitter account built in the last few months by my data visualization. So just make like a small tweet. I'm looking for a remote job. And basically I was looking for any small thing I could, I could help with. Yeah. And then actually I got some offers from, from, from teams, from good teams, from first division teams in, in, in Europe. And then I decided to join FC Sochi in Russia, but I was more like the, you could say the second or the third arm of the head of analysis. 
so I was doing this, the task that he told me with opponent analysis, a bit tagging of your own games. Um, and then we did well. And he was approached by Seteska Moscow, um, even bigger team in Russia, and he took me with him. Um, but yeah, the identification was just not, yeah, not good enough for me. I need a bit of this, yeah, this uh, feeling that I'm involved and I didn't feel involved too much there, the distance, and I don't really knew the players. That's why I choose in summer 2021 that I want to to change teams. And um, yeah, that's how I ended up in Viborg. Uh, contact came over last at that time. He, yeah, he was the coach in Viborg and uh, yeah got in contact with him and from this it developed a bit um, first just the opponent analysis that was my main task at the beginning um, but yeah now I do basically opponent analysis I have a lot of player talks mostly when I'm in vivo because I feel it's always better if you see uh, the players face to face and talk with them about sometimes also their mistakes which is over video sometimes a bit um, not that good yeah, but I also work on on implementing our KPIs and and developing some new ideas. Um, we have one other analyst, a student who films the games, which is quite good because when I'm not in Viborg, that's the thing I cannot do. I cannot film from Germany. Um, that's not <laughs> possible at the moment. So he films our games so that we have a backup if our provider of the league the picture sometimes it's quite bad, so that we have at least a backup for our our filming and yeah that's our status crew i am now it's in incredible the power that twitter can have sometimes I, and i know that lars freeze has a twitter account so maybe maybe he saw uh, some of your visualizations back in the day and uh, and that was the catalyst but yeah incredible that that's how it started for you and it certainly sounds like you've got your hands full at vborg i wondered when you are there, how much of your role takes place on the training field versus behind a laptop? Yeah, it's quite a lot. So um, I'm always saying also to, to our staff that I'm really missing coaching. You know, when I, I coach for a good six years or seven years, even though it was quite an exhausting time, I still loved it. And I have my, my A license, so I have really a high coaching badge. So it's wasted at the moment because I don't do any coaching work at all because I cannot not have the time to, to coach in Germany anymore at the moment. So I try to be on the pitch as as often as possible. And um, my role is not this classic data analyst guy who is just sitting in front of his laptop and works with numbers. I'm not that guy. I'm not good at, at, at yeah, I'm not a data scientist. I always say I'm more like a tactical analyst. Um, <laughs> and this is also why I'm, I spend a lot of time observing, observing the training, observing some some games without really um, yeah, doing something. It's not like that I give tactical advice during a game. That's not my... Sometimes I, I could do it if I really see something, I do it, but that's not my main priority. It's more like observing where can we get better um, and, and what can we improve. So um, that's also part of your work. You're not, as an analyst, it's not like an eight-hour full-time job a day where you just sit there and do stuff every every minute um, it's a lot of creative thinking thinking a bit outside of the box i watch a lot of football that's also part of it um, to watch other teams what is uh, the elite teams in europe doing um, and then when i see some interesting trend i i download it i visualize it a bit and show it to the to the staff and to the players um, but also a lot of um, 
a lot of small talk. So it's not that every talk I have with the players is always about analyzing stuff. It's sometimes just about getting a feeling of, of I like to, even when I'm in Germany, I like to, to write some players just on WhatsApp that they give me uh, just a small summary of what against Midtjylland. After the Midtjylland game, I wrote like three or four players to give me just that I had a feeling why it happened because it was hard to to touch because I felt we were not the worst team on this day, at least not four goals worse than Michelin. But um, it's sometimes hard if you're not in the stadium to to get a grip of the atmosphere, of, of the momentum. So that's what I like to do to get a bit of the players because they are more intelligent than some people uh, think, especially in our squad. We have a lot of highly intelligent people that you can just ask. Ask about their opinion, what they thought, what was the, the reason why we lost or why we won. There was uh, something as you were talking there that triggered in my memory, which is that um, I, I was fortunate enough to see Viborg and Silkeborg in the uh, in the Europa League this season uh, in the UK. And after both games, it was interesting that I, th- I think it was Yeppe for for Viborg and uh, Kent Nielsen for for Silkeborg, but both said, you know, the big difference between us on the pitch was uh, down to you know individual technical quality. It wasn't to do with work rate wasn't to do with uh, I don't know um, tactics it, it, it came down to that and I wondered when you're looking at the difference between a Super League team and say a Premier League team what is it from a technical perspective that is most that where the gap is most is it is it first touch is it <laughs> I don't know finishing ability it'd be really interesting to know yeah it's actually a good question because I feel if you just watch the games and it starts already with you if you watch women's football because nowadays the women's football on a technical level and technical level has so much improved that on the first few, it's not that easy to see the differences. But of course, the differences between the, the Super League and the Premier League, for example, is the game speed and what happens in, in your brain, how, how quickly you can recognize new situations, how, how quickly you can find solutions. That's the one thing, which is probably hard to analyze because it's quite a soft, a soft uh, topic. But, and I was in, in London when we played West Ham, you would think that every professional football player is the best version of himself if you talk about athleticism. No. If you watch the West Ham, I don't say that the Superliga players, they are not trained or they are not, they are not um, putting so much work into it. But if you, if you see players like Michael Antonio, um, if you see Skamaka from West Ham, if you see them really face to face, you just think, like, who is that? They are they're like machines. And if you then look at Superliga players, it's a big, big difference. There are also some players in the Superliga that look a bit like a freak body wise, but on the highest level, also physically, there is a big, big difference. The, the goal that we conceded against West Ham, the first goal, Skamaka, he's just he just outjumped our our centre backs because he just has the higher. Yeah jumping reach and this is this is uh, probably was a good example of goals that you cannot defend because you cannot defend every cross that's not possible and then if the cross comes in and someone is just higher than you and he just jumps higher that's individual quality and uh, yeah that's probably the thing that um, you have to deal with that doesn't mean that you cannot beat them I think we could we, we competed well also against teams with a bigger quality than we got but of course, um, Midtjylland was also a good example. The, the, the goals that they scored, that's quality. That's individual quality from Isaksen. Um, 
that you have to deal sometimes with it. It doesn't mean that we are not that we were not totally disappointed after the game, but sometimes you need to swallow the pill that if the opponent has a good day and they score some goals from a low XG value, some deflection goals and some long range goals, yeah, then you sometimes need to accept it. You don't need to to need to improve it, but um, that makes sense. Awesome. And I, I don't know whether your role existed before you arrived, but I, I was interested to know how has the kind of the setup at Viborg changed under the new ownership, just from a from a, a scouting, a coaching, an analysis perspective? Yeah, so actually the role didn't exist. So I was the first analyst at Viborg, which was a good thing on the one hand, because it's still today, I have a lot of influence for an analyst, I would say. So there are a lot of analysts they are just filming the games or they're just like tagging, which was probably would not be my favorite part because I yeah, I would not really feel valued in this role. So for me, it's really like I have a lot of, I can talk with the coaches about technical ideas and so on. I have close contact with the players, which is also not uh, automatically if you're an analyst. Some analysts, they never talk to the players at all. So um, this was the good thing that we didn't really have a setup. The bad thing, obviously, is uh, that we had to start from the scratch with software, with hardware. So before we had now the, the student filming the games, we didn't have an own camera system. So we were reliant on the Superliga, on our providers to film the games. They do it. That's good. But reliance is never a good thing. And for a football club, you need to suddenly, time after time, be a bit more independent. And that's at the moment, I would say, our main target to get more independent of, of everything. We want to have our own camera system. We want to have our own data. Um, yeah. And we invested a lot, I would say, in the last few months. Um, we invested in some new providers. We work now together with Impact. That's a German company. They, they provide us with packing data, which is um, a bit like how many players do you bypass just like where we were, we simple, and that's why we work with um, yeah, and some some other companies that we brought on board. So that's basically the biggest um, the biggest change. Um, but also, I would say the the acceptance because you can imagine if the players they never had an analyst at the club, and when I first joined, maybe they were a bit shy because okay, what is what is this guy doing? Is it more like is he just criticizing us? Is he more like helping us? And I think. Time after time, when they got to know me better and, and to know that I know I'm not an analyst just for the sake of it. I want in the end we are all there for making the team better on match day, and I think they realized it quite soon. And uh, so I think now my role is just it's just part of the of the coaching stuff, you could say, a bit of an advanced coaching stuff. And I think this acceptance is maybe the thing that changed the most. Because, of course, if you never had an analyst at your club, it's at first it's more like, what is he doing? How can he help us? But um, the more you get involved and the more tasks you, you got, you feel more well valued up time after time. And this is, this is good. Interesting. That focus on having a, a, a strong analytical setup, I, I've noticed a couple of times I've been at uh, Michelin Games this season and I've never seen so many people with laptops uh, kind of sitting, <laughs> sitting, doing stuff during the game. So th I, I think that they're quite well known as being a team that embraced this early on. But I think that you can see from 
from where you guys are in the table and fr- from what happened last season, the effect of this uh, this kind of new focus. And it, it, it's, ob- it's obviously not just one thing. It's a, a combination of things, but it's it's been really amazing to see uh, a team with a budget like Vibor competing at the at the top of the table. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, you know, maybe you saw it on Twitter. I also like to to have some, yeah, some fluent contact to some of our fans because I feel that um, they also play an important role and it's not like that I that I feel I must interact with them. It's not like this. It's more like that I like to do it because I feel that the fans' point of view, it's an important one. It's maybe not the one that is the most valued by, by a lot of teams or coaches or players because um, obviously they need to, to listen to the coaches more than to the fans, but it's still an important aspect. If the fans have... You know, you need to at least be transparent. And that's why I don't, I'm not shy to sometimes share some tactical ideas that we had in the game when it didn't work out or, or share some data of our games because I feel that the fans, they are much more intelligent when it comes to football than most people think. At least the, the ones that I know from our club, they, they, they know a lot of about data, a lot about analysis. So you cannot just, um, you know, just, just play them. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, and, and some of them, they all already told me, yeah, since you are here in the club, it's all going up. And I told them, yeah, but it's probably just was a good time to join because I think <laughs> there are many, many more, many more reasons. Um, but yes, of course, um, it, it's, it's, I know that I'm one part of the success, a tiny part, but I play my part the same way how our kitman plays his part because everything is set because on a match day, it's so important that the players can follow their routines and so mm-hmm. it's very much underrated, all this stuff that happens behind. Um, but it's also for us, you, you mentioned the table. We, are, we always know where we're coming from. And we are really, probably you notice that when you talk to, to, to Jeppe and, and to Clint and to some other people that we really know where we're coming from. We're never t- trying to, to be arrogant or anything. But of course, we know that we are in a situations where we should probably not yeah, not look to other teams and automatically try to copy what they are doing. Why do we need eight analysts when teams who got eight analysts are below us at the table? I know it's just a momentum at the moment, can change in two or three weeks, but we are in a situation where we're doing so well over two years now that we need to, to build our own strategy and not just look at what is Copenhagen doing, what is Midland doing and say, okay, we copy that. They do a lot of good stuff. But not everything we need to copy because um, we are doing well, and we should try to 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 yeah try to improve in our own way and don't copy other teams too much. Programs like All or Nothing that that really give you like a peek behind the curtain of what what it's like at a, um, a professional club. Uh, watching the Arsenal one this summer, the it was quite a prominent analyst there who was having these one on one sessions with players, and it seemed like the relationships were a really big part of it and his relationship with the manager. And I know that when you arrived, you arrived under under Lars Fries, and you're obviously now working with Jakob Fries. Um, h- how did that sort of managerial transition, how did you go about building your relationship and building your, your, your value uh, with the new manager? Yeah, I think that I was really tensed when Lars uh, he, he called me at 11 in the evening on the day when he got you know not got fired but when this all happened so it, he called me I was lying in bed and he said okay Marys I want that you are one of the guys who know it first that I'm probably won't be coach at Viborg um, from now on 
was a bit of a shock because you know he brought me there and um, of course I had a really good relationship with him so um, I knew that with Fredberg as a sporting director I was sure that the new coach shares the same philosophy at least but I was never sure if the new coach has maybe brings his own stuff that's that's normal in, in modern football so I was a bit tense even though that our sporting director called me immediately telling me yeah it's, it's nothing will change for you um, but yeah with Jakob then it turned out to be really a lucky case because we have exactly the same I would say idea of football and also the same a similar way how to work so when we were in Alicante and we had this training camp um, we had a mental coach who was there Camilla um, she made an, uh, a presentation a workshop about this um, yeah not sh this personality roles I think you maybe heard of it it's like every person can be divided into four personalities. The red one, the green one, it's, I think everyone yeah. has done it already in his job. And it turned out that, that me and Jakob, we, yeah, we, we show what the right word is, but we complement, I would say each other quite well, because he's a guy, sometimes he, he writes or calls me late in the evening and just tells me, hey, Maris, can you find me a picture of Man City, pressing against the back three and then i do it because for me i could say i oh, know 10 in the evening i'm not working anymore but for me it's it's part of my it's a, it's a fluent between job and private life i love football it's my passion so i have no problem doing it if i would be rather the rational guy who is just the numbers guy i probably had a bigger problem with it because then I need to plan everything and I can't work with someone calling me spontaneously at 10 in the evening and asking me for something. I would be like, oh no, Man City, I'm not sure what, what game, what, what you see. I'm not like this. I do it in 10 minutes. I send him a clip and, and he's happy. So I think that this is part of our good relationship that um, he knows how I work. I know how he works. And um, it's even so if I do the opponent analysis, I tend to have a video call with the, with the coaching stuff and present it, share my screen, show them the presentation and then talk over the videos. But, you know, in football, time is gold and this meeting, sometimes it took one hour and they need to, to arrange it that every coach is available. And for, for eight or nine weeks now, um, we basically, I just sent them the presentation and they, they know exactly, I know exactly what to add into the telestration that they understand it without that I know don't need to talk about it. And uh, that's how we always try to, to optimize processes because, um, you know, when I'm in Germany, that's the most important thing. You need to simplify stuff and to, to optimize stuff because otherwise it's not working. Um, Jakob should never have the feeling that um, he, he cannot ask me because it's from an organizational point of view not possible to ask me. So that's what I try to tell him that he can handle me as a normal employer who is sitting in his, his office, just that I'm not there physically. And I think it's, it's working fine this way. Great. Yeah. It must be uh, amazing to have that kind of working relationship where you, um, where, where you really feel like you're, uh, uh, what's the, what was the word you use where you're, where you're complementing each other's strengths, because I think that's, that, that's where you feel really valued as a, uh, as an employee, as a coworker, whatever it might be. Yeah, and I also learn a lot from him. I mean, that's a bit of a, you know, of a common saying I learn every day. But <laughs> yeah, 
you know, when you when you start working in professional football, and before that, I was a coach, yes, but not on a professional level. I was an analyst, but only on Twitter. I thought I knew a lot about football. That's when you when you ask people on Twitter, most people will tell you, ah, I'm an expert. But the stuff that I learned in the last two years, and especially under under Jakob, it's massive. So much, not not only football related, but also like soft skills, social skills. So so mm. much. Um, at the moment, when I would start coaching again, I would I would coach my team exactly the way that Jakob's coach us at the moment because I know it's working. So you know all the principles and the style of play and how to get there and how to 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 talk to the players. Um, yeah, that's a really really good thing about him. And um, I would be dumb to not try to to soak it in and also adapt it to 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 my my work. Don't want to copy anyone, but um, it's the good things. It's always good to try to adapt them. I'm such a big football fan, but I'm not able to watch games in the same way as people who can really, I don't know, pick apart the pat- patterns. I listened to a, an Arsenal podcast uh, called Arsenal Vision, where they they analyze games in. And I've seen the exact same game, uh, and they've seen it in a completely different way. But it's so enlightening, and I just wondered. <laughs> Are you able to watch a game just as entertainment or are you always seeing tactical patterns and watching it with a kind of work hat on? And that's probably a question that I get uh, asked every time when people talk to me. Because <laughs> I think it's like, and it's hard to answer because on the one hand, yes, I feel that I'm still at the point where I can do it. So for example, today when, when Paris Saint-Germain plays Bayern Munich, I was just hoping for a good game with a lot of goals and some individual quality from Mbappé or Messi so I can really enjoy individual quality without any tactical borders. I can I can do that and I think it's good to have that because otherwise I think the burnout rate would be would be quite uh, quite high in the next uh, two or three years. And I also don't like, maybe when you follow my tweets, I don't like these people on Twitter, especially at the moment, to try to make football more complicated than it is. Like all these these academic terms about some some technical routines that basically exist for 10 years. Then they give them a new name and they, they, they sell it like a, like a new trend. Um, that's not <laughs> how football should be analyzed. Um, so, yeah, I can still watch a normal football game with my friends even though I don't have too much time to meet them but um, yeah I try to to ignore all the, the stuff it's not always working but yesterday I watched uh, Borussia Dortmund against Chelsea first 10 minutes 15 minutes I watched a bit of the structure and build up and pressing because I think it was quite interesting but the last 20 minutes when it was really tense I just watched it and I forgot that I'm an analyst and it's probably my job to analyze it no I try to to divide it it as long as that's still possible it sounds like you have a mix of using your eyes and using the statistics and and sort of finding what makes sense out of those two inputs rather than just focusing too much on one or another but i i wondered is there such thing as a leading indicator from a statistical perspective like is there a stat or a series of stats that are more important than others when it comes to analyzing a game yeah so for us, we have our KPIs that we look at at bypassed opponents. That's that's PPDA, so pressing indicators. Um, that's also how many final third entries we got, how many XG we, we generate. That's all that we look for. So that's basically when we evaluate our own game, we look at these KPIs or how many 
runs behind the back line we make so because we want to have these deep runs that's everything that we look at we also looked at obviously our opponents how much do they do of the same stuff but yes i would say that my work is 70 or 80 percent video reliant so i use the data to confirm what i see but i hardly i hardly have a focus on the data because i feel that um yeah, if you have the choice, it's always video is always better. Um, data can can give you a lot. of sometimes when I watch a team that I don't know, which is not happening a lot in, in Denmark because you just have twelve teams. So there was quite a funny stat that we have now twelve games left, and six of them are against uh, Nordsjælland at Copenhagen, which is crazy to think about. Fifty <laughs> percent of our remaining yeah. games are against two teams, probably the best in the league. Um, so yeah, you can you can guess. The second or third time we play a team, I don't make like the biggest report and the biggest presentation anymore because what should I tell the players and the coaches about this team? Then it's more about finding solutions more than than than, than analyzing the structure and analyzing their data. It's more about how can we find solutions. Then it's more like, yeah, that's more what how the how the season develops. First part of the season, it's more. Some teams, they change formation in a new season. It's really a lot about how high do they press, data comes in, or what, what build-up structure do they use. But the more the season goes on, it's rather about finding solutions than, than analyzing the team because we know how North Zealand is playing. They, they want, <laughs> I probably think they won't surprise us with a new system on, on Sunday. So it's more about how can we, can we hurt them. Awesome. I was also going to ask about how the advent of platforms like Scout have, have changed the game for, I, I don't know, for your role, but also for scouts, managers, whoever else at the club. Yeah, it makes it easier. Obviously, uh, we don't work with Scout too much because uh, obviously we have, uh, we have the technical cam in our second spectrum software. This is provided by the Superliga. So, and if you one time work with the technical cam where you can see every player at once, you don't want to go back to the broadcasting angle because it's just, it's so different. Um, but it makes life much, much easier. I told you we have the student filming the games. Um, he also texts some situations because um, for halftime analysis, but in the end, it's really more like a backup work. We don't need to tech our own games because we have everything in our platform automatically. I can filter everything. If I want to see every pass from Jeppe to, to Bonde in the middle zone of the pitch, just between minute 60 and 75, I can filter it and I get every pass that I look for. If I want to see every pressing situation of Nordsjælland in the last three weeks, make one click and I see them. It makes wow. it much, much easier, of course. That, uh, that's, uh, that's a luxury, luxury thing that a lot of teams on a lower level don't have. I, I was at the, at the analyst, uh, analysis convention of a football summit in Odense, start of January, and I talked to a lot of analysts from smaller clubs, and of course, in the third division in, in, in Denmark, you don't have that. You don't have technical camps of, of, of games and you don't have big stadiums, so you cannot really have a good angle if you film it yourself. These guys, they do much harder stuff than I do. That's, that's the truth, the reality. But of course, I enjoy doing it <laughs> because uh, then you can focus on your job, analyzing and, and finding solutions and not finding clips. Finding clips should not be the main part of your work, but uh, for some teams it is. 
because if you don't have these these softwares available, you spend a lot of time in the hard work in the grinding part and then you can't spend so much in, in analyzing. I do sometimes think if you were able to uh, to time travel and bring something like <laughs> bring that, that that level of analysis back into the nineties when they still had just VHS, I wonder I wonder how far you could take a team. Yeah, I I do some, you know, in my in my other job in Germany, I make some analysis articles for the German Football Association for their academy side, and I'm I'm quite free, so I can do analysis of yeah of all the teams that I want to do, and uh, we had like a flashback series in the last three months, so I analyzed United '99 with Ferguson, I analyzed Mourinho's FC Porto, and going back. On YouTube, watching these videos and trying <laughs> to analyze them out of this shit quality broadcasting era, that was, I told my boss, I don't do that again because it was so so hard. If you're used to have better quality pictures and, and better angles, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, but that's what it, how it was for many years. Is there a player you have in mind who ha, who you think has really flourished from some of the the work that you've been doing with them and you've really seen a, a, a marked improvement over your your time working together yeah that's probably hard to answer because i cannot look into their minds but um, yeah just to give you maybe a small anecdote my first meeting ever with a player it was with Yunus Bakis. he's now at Arbok, so we can maybe talk about him <laughs> i was really shy and afraid because you know i'm coming from youth football as a coach i've never done any analysis work with players and i thought okay why should they listen to someone who never played himself professional and why should they even rate my opinion and then we had this talk 10 15 minutes i talked a bit about him you know why he's not scoring and assisting as much as he wants to. And I told him a bit about his positioning, showed him some clips, some data about his touches in the final third. And then, okay, he said, thank you. And it was all good, fine. But I could not guarantee if he was just, you know, um, it was just kind, kindness to, 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 to say in my face. And then on the next day, our, our physio came to me and he told me, what have you done with Eunice? And I thought, why? I had just a 10-minute talk with him. And he said, yeah, he came to me afterwards and he said, ah, oh, it was such a good talk with Marius and he really showed me that my feeling was right about that I could, you know, do this and that better. And it was really opening my eyes that I could, could see it in the data and in the clips that my feeling got confirmed. And that obviously gave me a lot of confidence in my, in my talks. And but if I should name a player from now, maybe I think Jeppe. It's the, it's maybe the the more the most the normal answer because he's basically learning from everything you tell him. So, um, but yeah, because I think that he never really worked on his game as much as he worked in the last two years on his game from the coaches, from everyone, also from me. I think that for him, everything that you tell him has an effect. Not everything he's doing, because sometimes he thinks maybe it's not benefiting me. But when I tell him, Jeppe, you need to, need to try to position yourself a bit more between the lines, there is a high, high chance that when you watch his next game, he's doing it. So I think if you talk about how, how quickly you can see the effect of your work, Jeppe is quite a good example, because you can really see when you talk to him, the next two weeks he tries to do it. And that's obviously a really good feeling for an analyst too, that it's not just like empty words that you tell the players. 
but they're acting on it. Yeah, yeah. And but if you uh, if you go back and listen to episode one of, of Danish Dynamite, we had Yeppe on the podcast, and one of the things he said was, "I sometimes think that if I was able to do the things that I've been doing in the past few years and the things that I've learned earlier in my career, like where." where it could have led where it could have taken me and yeah I, I think that's um testament to the, the work you and the, the the coaching staff and the manager are doing there finally I w- wanted to ask really about Denmark and the Super League I, j- I wondered how much you knew about the country and the league before working there and, and what your what your takeaway is from it now you know ha- have you have you got to have you got to love Viborg as a place uh have you have you fallen in love with the league yeah, definitely. I feel that that some people think it might be crazy that I I really identify a lot with the club. I got a V-Box tattoo. I got a lot of V-Box stuff in my house decorated and I love the club, which is not, you know, it's a bit crazy to say because I've never been there for more than two weeks in a row until April, in three weeks. So, um, but the, the culture in the club and also in the country is so different from Germany. In Germany, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of people try to do their own stuff and they don't really, they're not happy when other people got success. And I think in Denmark, it's a really open culture. When I just look back at the football summit that I, that I attended in, in January, there were all the analysts, the background stuff of the teams in Denmark, and they were all freely talking to each other, sharing ideas and, and making workshops which is not normal. We now I told you about the the quality of the of the providers tactical camp pictures is shit for some stadiums. And then Copenhagen's analyst he made a Dropbox for all the teams they want to join and all the analysts can upload their own videos in there so that we have some better quality pictures to analyze our next opponent. This is not not normal. Why should Copenhagen they have enough cameras. They have enough analysts. Why should they care about the other teams if they don't have the pictures? It's not normal. And it's, it, I really appreciate this. And I think that's part of the Danish culture. And um, non-football related, it's the same. So I like Denmark. That's why I want to move there sometime. So we are in talks about me moving full-time to Viborg for, for many months now. But yeah, like I always say, it's not that easy for me to just quit my, my job in Germany and and, and and get into this full-time role right from now to tomorrow. Um, it probably will come at one point because I love Denmark as a country and uh, my girlfriend too, so we could well imagine living there. So, um, yeah, for me, it's a perfect fit. That was quite random because what you asked, no, I didn't know a lot about Denmark. I didn't know a lot about the Superliga. Um, what I can tell you now is that the Superliga is much, much better than the UEFA ranking. I think a lot of leagues that are in front of the Superliga, they're just in front because they have one poster team that a bit carries them through to the rankings. Like you got Donetsk in the Ukraine, you got Petersburg in Russia, you got Celtic in Scotland, you got Salzburg in Austria. But the general level of the football in the league, the Superliga is, is at least the same, if not higher. Um, that's what I noticed. You have such a high, high average level in the Superliga that it makes really fun to analyze the games because um, if you know it best themselves. So many good football teams, Silkeborg, Nordsjælland, um, OB, they all know how to play football. And uh, it, it's really fun to analyze these games if you compare it to Russia where there's a lot of pragmatic football, long balls, second ball approach. 
it's hard to analyze, but you, if you play Nordschland on the weekend, there's so much stuff that you can analyze that is really uh, also on this part of, of the game. It makes just more fun to work in the Super League and maybe the league where the football is not that much uh, quality. I've never made a, a clip of the podcast, but I'm going to try and clip that up and tag the Superliga, and that can be their new marketing campaign. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. You know, a lot of people, I just see the UEFA rankings, and I see, okay, oh, there's no team in the Champions League. Yes, but why? It's more like because we don't have this big, big, big club that had success in Europe in the last few years. Midtjylland had some in the Champions League, but also more like temporary. And then Copenhagen, they struggle a bit in Europe. Brentby struggle, and we need that one team that really goes into the knockout stages every season. We need that. That's true. It's good that we are at the moment so good. It's good that Silkeborg is so good. It's good that Nordschildern is so good. But you cannot expect a team like Viborg to, to get a run through all the qualification rounds every season. That's so, so hard. We saw that now. We went to the first two rounds and then West Ham, it was a dead end for us. So we need at least one or two safe places in the table that qualify for Europe safe and don't get to the, go to the qualification rounds. That must be an aim because otherwise it's so, so hard to, to, yeah, to get higher. Yeah, that West Ham draw was probably the, the hardest one you could have got as well from, from the teams that were available in that, in that round. So it's just one of those things. But I think that I think that V-Borg still came out of it with plenty of credit, although I guess credit doesn't get you group games. But at the same time, I think it registered on a lot of people's radars. Yeah, I agree. For us, it was a good experience and I think everyone gave us credit. But like I said, we didn't gain a lot of points for the UEFA ranking. Which, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a problem on the long term for the league. And finally, Marius, you've got your UEFA A license. It sounds like you really enjoy the relationship side of the, the role. You've obviously got an in-depth tactical and analysis background. Does this mean you're going to be a manager in the future? Is that how you see things panning out? Uh, yeah, hopefully. I think that that's... That is the thing that if I could draw the future, I would, I would see myself in a bit of a hybrid role, a bit like Rene Maric uh, was at Leeds, um, a bit like being an assistant coach in some way, but with a analysis focus. So because I really miss being on the pitch, that's the reality and, and the coaches, they know it. And um, so when we discuss a potential full-time role in the near future, we probably also need to talk about... Um, my role, because like I told you, during the training, there is not so much stuff that an analyst can do. It's not like that I, can, I need to analyze every simple training session. So then maybe it's part of my work to make some individual coaching stuff with some players, maybe in, the, in this way. So this would be my ideal role. But let's see. But yeah, like I said, I don't see myself as a pure analyst for the next 15 years. No. So watch this space. Brilliant. Marius, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. So really, really grateful that you took the time to, to speak to me and it was fascinating. If you want to follow Marius, head on over to Twitter at gegenpressing 91 we obviously got a, a Klopp aficionado here <laughs> yeah, uh, used to be one but not anymore <laughs> <laughs> but yeah please do follow Marius he's so open and interesting on on Twitter and I think Twitter can be a goldmine for interesting football stuff if, if you are open to looking for it and, and Marius is a perfect example of that so thank you again Marius and really appreciate your time same and uh, thank you for all your work I think you're doing a great job making the Superliga a bit more open to the mainstream. That's uh, really important also for us. Fantastic. Cheers. And uh, I'll catch you next time. 
that's all we've got time for for this episode but i'd like to thank marius very much for his time and I'd like to thank all of you for for tuning in to another episode of danish dynamite superliga podcast as ever i'm super grateful to those of you who have supported the show by becoming a patreon again if you would like to become one of those luminaries you can head over to patreon.com forward slash football in denmark and for the price of a coffee a month you can help support the show help support the website and help keep the content tap on for english based danish superliga content i will catch you next week for a run through of round 21 and more exciting tidbits from the Danish Superliga. Mm-hmm.